Well, if you would uh, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And this morning we shall be looking at verses 57 to 80. Last week we uh, we considered the uh, visitation of uh, of the angel uh, Gabriel to, to Mary, telling her that she would give birth to the Lord Jesus. And then in the evening we looked at her hymn of praise, the Magnificat as it's called. But before that, uh, we were introduced to uh, Zechariah and he was told by uh, Gabriel, the angel, that his wife Elizabeth would in her old age conceive and give birth to a son whom they were to call John. And uh, as you might remember, Zechariah didn't believe what he'd been told by the angel and as a result, he was disciplined by the Lord and was made mute. And so for the past nine months or so, he's not been able uh, to speak. And that brings us to our passage this morning, Luke uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. Let's hear God's word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Our chief end is, as I'm sure most of you know, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is what God wants from you. What God wants from you above all else is for you to praise him, is for you to worship him, is for you to enjoy him and to delight in him. What he wants from you is for you to bless his name. He he wants you to be taken up with him and with his glory, glory that is seen particularly in the great salvation that he has secured for us by his son. God wants you to bless him for his gracious salvation. And this is what we see Zechariah doing in our passage this morning. After nine months of being mute, of of God-enforced silence, now, finally, the Lord opens Zechariah's mouth, the Lord loosens Zechariah's tongue at the birth of his son, John. And what are the first words that come flowing from Zechariah's mouth? Well, they are words of praise, aren't they? They are words of God adoring praise and worship, words that exalt and magnify the Lord. Zechariah doesn't first speak about himself and all that he's been through, all the thoughts that he's been thinking for nine months and not been able to share with others. He's not thinking about himself and he certainly doesn't bemoan the nine months he's had of not being able to speak. There's no self-pity. There's no self-absorption whatsoever. Zechariah here is just taken up with the Lord, with his glory and with his salvation. That is what Zechariah blesses God for and I appreciate I know from my own personal experience that praise doesn't always flow naturally from your lips I'm sure there are there are times if you're like me when when you struggle to bless the Lord when you struggle to to give him all the glory that he deserves when when frankly your heart just isn't in it. And maybe you're like that this morning as, as we've gathered together to, to worship God, to sing praise to him. Maybe you're here and your heart for whatever reason just isn't in it. Well, if that is the case, then, then I hope that as we, we go through Zechariah's psalm of praise this morning, as we go through his benedictus as it's, as it's called, as, as we hear Zechariah extolling the glory of the Lord and his great salvation. I, I hope that that by the end your, your mouth might be opened just a little bit more and your tongue loosened just a tiny bit more in praise to God because that's that's why we're here. That's why you exist. That's the, the meaning of your life, to glorify God, to enjoy him. Please note with me this morning three aspects of the Lord's salvation for which uh, Zechariah blesses God. 
the power of the Lord's salvation, the promise of the Lord's salvation, and the purpose of the Lord's salvation. Three Ps, easy for you to remember. That's what we're to bless the Lord for. The power of his salvation, the promise of his salvation, and the purpose of his salvation. First of all, Zechariah blesses the Lord because of the power of his great salvation. He begins by speaking of how the Lord has visited and redeemed his people, how he has raised up for them from the house of David a horn of salvation, how he has saved them from all of their enemies. And this language is, of course, derived from the Old Testament. We we read some of that kind of language, didn't we, in Psalm 18 earlier on in our service. But it's particularly derived, this language, these ideas, these concepts, particularly derived from the, the Exodus, when, when the Lord uh, powerfully, uh, majestically saved his people from their slavery in Egypt. That was the great, if you like, paradigm of salvation, the great model of salvation in the Old Testament, when, when the Lord graciously heard the cries of his people and visited them uh, in their in their enslavement and in their suffering and and mightily redeemed them by his powerful right hand from from their enemies the egyptians and and zechariah here in his psalm of praise as he blesses the lord is drawing on that experience on that history on the the language that that came out of that historical experience of god's people he's drawing on that in order to describe a new and a far greater act of redemption that is about to take place a, a new and far greater exodus and what is that new and greater exodus that new and greater Redemption, well it is of course the redemption that is about to be accomplished by the Lord Jesus. That, that's who Zechariah is describing here in his psalm of praise. He's describing the son that is about to be born to Mary and Joseph. He is praising Jesus, our mighty and omnipotent Savior. And of course he's doing so prophetically. Jesus has not as yet been born, but here's Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks by the Spirit, and by the Spirit he knows with absolute certainty that God's promised Messiah is is about to come, he's about to enter into uh, this world, and he knows that when he does, This Messiah, Jesus, will achieve ultimate deliverance, everlasting salvation. And that's why, in this hymn of praise, Zechariah, though though that salvation is still future from his perspective, is able to speak about it in in the past tense. The Lord has visited and redeemed us. He has visited, visited us and raised up a horn of salvation for us. He has saved us from our enemies. He speaks about it in this prophetic past tense. Why? Because he is so certain in the spirit of all that Jesus will achieve. He is absolutely certain that Jesus is the Messiah, the mighty savior of God's people. And what Zechariah looked forward to with absolute certainty, you look back on with 
I hope absolute certainty as well. You can look back on the fact that in Jesus Christ, God has now visited and redeemed you by his mighty right hand. You can look back on the fact that in Jesus Christ, God has raised up for you a horn of salvation. The son of David, the mighty king has come for you and he has truly rescued you from all of your enemies and you need a mighty savior don't you we need a powerful and mighty king to redeem us because of of the enemies that we face because of all the enemies that are ranged against us just think about who opposes you who hates you who is hostile to you who wants to kill you it's it's not the egyptians it's not the Assyrians, it's not the Babylonians. These were fierce enemies of God's people in the Old Testament. And they were bad enough. But ranged against you, brothers and sisters, are far fiercer, far more deadly, far worse enemies. The enemies of the world and the flesh, our sinful flesh, and the devil. These are the enemies that we face. The world hates you just as it hated Jesus, the sinful flesh that you inhabit wars against you constantly. And the devil, he wants to kill you. He's always prowling around like a lion looking to devour you. And against such enemies, what, what can you do? Against such enemies, you are totally powerless. It's as though you are facing a rhino or a bull. What would you do? You would run. You would cry out for salvation, for rescue. And that's what you do in the face of this, this terrifying triumvirate of evil. You cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. And this is what the Lord has so wonderfully done. Jesus the horn of your salvation has, as it were, gored your enemies to death. He has torn them to shreds. He's ripped them apart. He's done so by his death and his resurrection. By his mighty death and his powerful resurrection, he has overcome the world. He has defeated sin. He has destroyed the works of the devil. And yes, as you know, these enemies, though they've been conquered, though they've been decisively defeated by Jesus Christ, these enemies continue to, to rage against you, don't they? You, you feel it, I, I imagine, every day. How they, how they go after you. How the world continues to, to oppose you and to bring you down. How, how your sinful flesh continues to, to trouble you so much. How the devil continues to assault you and to attack you. you. You feel these enemies rage against you every day. But but you need to know that as you face these enemies, they are defeated enemies. They have been conquered by your mighty King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because he is your mighty king and savior he's going to protect you from them all he will not let them overpower you he's too strong and 
He's too good. In, in his hands, brothers and sisters, you are safe. You are safe forever. And so Zechariah blesses the Lord for the power of his salvation that he has worked through Jesus Christ, his son. But then secondly, he also blesses the Lord for the, for the promise of his salvation. That is what Zechariah goes on to bless the Lord for. Having powerfully saved his people, he, he goes on to say in verses 72 and 73 that he did so to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now here, Zechariah is essentially glorying in the truth that salvation is all of God and it flows from his mercy. Here, Zechariah is basking in the wondrous truth that God's mercy is the sole source of your salvation, the sole tributary, we might say, of the vast ocean of salvation. It all flows from the heart of God. Zechariah well knows, because he's a faithful believer, that none of us deserves to be saved. None of us deserves to be God's children. In fact, Zechariah well knows that we all deserve the complete opposite. We all deserve to be punished, condemned, cast out for our sin. We all deserve to die in hell, not live in heaven. That is what every single human being merits. But Zechariah also knows that God, the God he loves and worships, the true God, the only God, is, is the God who is rich in mercy. The God who delights to show steadfast love and compassion to poor, weak, undeserving sinners. And he knows that from God's own heart of compassion, he promised to save a people for himself. He made that promise to our fathers in the faith, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. He said to them, particularly to Abraham, I, I'm going to raise up a seed from you, a son from your line. And that son, he's going to be the great king over all the world. He's going to rule and reign forever. And in him, all the nations of the earth, all the multitudes of the peoples will be Blessed. That is what God promised purely by his grace. He said, I, I'm going to, to win a people for myself. I'm going to save them from their sins through my promised son. And God wonderfully remembered his covenant. God never forgets what he's promised to do. He remembered in the sense of taking action on what he promised to do. He kept his promise and did so, of course, in sending his own eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh. And in taking on human flesh, the son of God, Jesus Christ, is, we might say, the flesh and blood embodiment of God's gracious covenant. Jesus Christ is the flesh and blood embodiment of all of God's promises of mercy. 
In him, you look to Jesus, God in the flesh, and you say, yes, in him. All the promises of God are yes and yes again. They've all been fulfilled in him. We so often break our promises, don't we? All the time. We fail to do what we've promised to do. We, we sometimes lie deliberately and willfully to others. Others lie to us. Our lives, they are, they are strewn with the debris of broken promises. This, this world in which we live, it's contaminated with the disease of, of lies and falsehoods and wicked deceptions. That's the world that we live in. That's the kind of people we so often are. But God, but God never breaks his promises. God always keeps his word. He always does what he says he'll do. God promised from of old that he would have mercy on undeserving sinners. And God kept his promise of mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, God promises to keep on showing you mercy day by day. I I imagine there are some of you here this morning who are perhaps deeply ashamed of, of certain promises that you've broken in the past. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning who are, who are just weighed down by the guilt of, of lies that you have uttered. And maybe there are some of you here this morning who are just finding it too hard to forgive those or to forgive someone in particular who has lied to you, who has broken their word to you. And if that is the case, as I'm sure it is probably for most of us here this morning, then remember this, that that your God is rich in mercy. And in his rich mercy, God promises to forgive you. When you confess your sins, he promises to do so. And he also promises to help you as you seek. Falteringly and imperfectly, though it may be, but as you seek to show grace to others who have hurt you, perhaps very badly, God promises to help you. He promises to give grace to those who humbly ask for it. They're not empty promises, brothers and sisters. They would be if most of us spoke them, but they're not empty promises because, because they come from the mouth of God and because they've been fulfilled in Christ. And so in a world of lies, where we lie and where we are tempted by the father of lies, We can be glad that we belong to a faithful, covenant, promise-making, promise-keeping God. Don't you want to bless the Lord for the mercy that he promised to show to you and for the mercy that he truly has exhibited to you in Jesus Christ? Here Zechariah blesses God for the power of his salvation, for the promise of his Salvation, And then thirdly and finally, Zechariah blesses the Lord for the purpose of his salvation. We need to ask the question, why, why has God 
in Christ delivered us from the hand of our enemies. It's come from a motive of mercy. That's what animates salvation. But for what purpose? To what end? Well, the the immediate purpose is explained by Zechariah in verses 74 and 75, where he says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the purpose of your salvation. God has saved you. So that you might serve him. So that you might be his fearless, holy and righteous servants. Now, of course, this is marvelous when you consider what we are like by nature in in our unsaved state. By nature, we're not actually free independent beings able to do whatever we want to do no by nature all of us are slaves slaves of the world of the flesh of the devil slaves in other words of our fiercest enemies who hate us who want nothing but bad to come to us and these enslaving enemies fill us with fear. They fill us with the fear of not measuring up. The fear of losing face. The fear of being found out. The fear of being rejected. And and so many other fears besides. And ultimately, of course, they fill us with the fear of dying. The fear of death. By nature, this is what we are like. We're we're full of fears. But God has delivered us from such fearful and fear-inducing enemies. And God has delivered us so that we might serve him without fear. And now, as as a servant... Of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you don't need to be afraid of, of not measuring up, for example, or of being found out because in Christ, God has accepted you. There's nothing in you that He doesn't know already. There's nothing additional that He can find out about you which will make Him change His mind about. No, He knows everything about you. And yet in Christ, He's accepted you. And you don't need to be afraid, therefore, of being rejected. You are in Christ absolutely secure. Secure in the the unconditional and unchanging love of God. And you don't need to be afraid of death. You don't need to be afraid of being sent to the place of death, hell. Because in Christ, you have eternal life. God has made you, in other words, his free, his willing, and his happy servants. He has, he has made you someone who wants to serve him because of all that he's done for you. 
someone who wants to be holy and righteous because because you know that this will please your father. And I think it's important to say this morning that that such free and fearless service of God, such holy and righteous living, that is a vital element. That is a key part of the salvation that Christ has won for you. Yes, we do have to work hard at these things. I'm not denying that. But this is part of the package, as it were. Jesus Christ hasn't, you see, just saved you from your enemies. Wonderful though that is. He saved you for God. He's not just saved you from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. He's actually saved you for a a life, an everlasting life of enjoying and knowing and glorying in God. And Jesus Christ hasn't simply made you holy and righteous in an objective sense, true, wonderful though that is. He's also by your spirit, by his spirit rather, working in your heart so that you become subjectively more holy, more righteous, more like Christ. This is, this is what the Lord Jesus is doing in you right now. Whether you feel it or not, he is doing, he is working in you sanctifying you day by day by his spirit and through his word, transforming your heart, infusing you with more and more of his grace. And of course, your service, my service of God, it will always be imperfect. It will always be tarnished and tainted by sin, by sinful motives, by sinful ambitions. Of course, that's true. And and as Christians, certainly if you're a godly Christian, you'll you'll always be dissatisfied with your, your progress in the faith, with your growth in holiness, with your advancement in righteousness. But you see, that does not change the fact that God has made you his servants. That does not change the fact that, that Christ is right now at work in your heart. And he, by his spirit, is, is making you more and more holy, more and more righteous, more and more like him. And one day, he will bring that work that he has begun in your heart to completion. This, this is God's purpose for you. This is the purpose of his salvation of you. To make you just like the servant, Jesus Christ. And God's purpose will be met. Friends, God has been so very, very good to you. God has saved you from all of your enemies by his mighty power. You, you couldn't have done it. You were helpless. But God came to your aid in all of your weakness and poverty. He did so in fulfillment of his gracious promises. He did what he said he was going to do. He always does. And he has saved you in order to make you beautiful servants, holy, righteous, Christ-like servants, which one day you will perfectly be. Then you have every reason to bless the Lord for all that he has done for you. Don't you want to thank him? Don't you want others to join in with such God-adoring praise? At the end of his psalm of praise, Zechariah blesses the Lord for what his son, John, will do. He turns his attention away from, from the Christ, from Jesus, and focuses in the final few verses 
on his own son, John. And he blesses the Lord that John will be the prophet of the Most High, who will prepare the way of the Lord. And how will he prepare the way of the Lord? Well, by giving the people knowledge, knowledge of the salvation that Jesus will accomplish. This is how John will get people ready. He'll get people ready by proclaiming and preaching Christ. By proclaiming and preaching the salvation that Christ will accomplish. A salvation that consists in the forgiveness of our sins and which therefore extinguishes the darkness of death. This is what John was called to do. He was called to proclaim salvation. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is what John did. After his time in the wilderness, when he made his public appearance in Israel, John went about proclaiming the Christ. Why? Yes, so that people would be saved. But more fundamentally, John proclaimed Christ so that in being saved, people would then bless the Lord. Just like Zechariah, John's father, had blessed the Lord. Salvation is a means to an end. God has saved you so that you might glorify and enjoy him. So that like Zechariah, you might bless his name. And all I will say in closing is this. God will make sure that you will praise him and bless him from hearts that want to praise him and bless him. God will make sure that will happen. Now, now we often struggle, don't we, to praise God. Sometimes our heart just isn't in it. But one day, your great and mighty Savior will come back. You will see him in all of his glorious grace, in all of his might and majesty. And when you see him, then your mouth really will be opened. Then your tongue really will be loosened. And you will want to bless the Lord, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, You will want to bless the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength forever. That will be your pleasure. That will be your delight. That will be your glory. Not yourself, but glorying in and enjoying your God forever. That is where you are headed. That is what God will do for you. Amen.